What? Well, that's monstrous. Vaporization without representation is against the Constitution. Welcome to the Whovian Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. Colin is my name out. <laughs> <laughs> You've rendered Jeremy speechless. Well, why did you introduce me without me introducing me? Eh. I'm Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy's here, guys. And yeah. once long Some ago, Jeremy. the master was a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who said it. You took that from me, too. I don't think you said it. I think Colin just said it. He had the once long ago. Honestly, I have to say, I mean, that's got to be the scariest moment of all time, because if I saw that mask hanging in a costume room, like, in the dark, that would really scare me. It scared a lot of people back in the day, yes. Especially if it was moving slowly and creepily. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the only disadvantage is that the eyes couldn't move, but I think part that partly makes it even worse. And part of the eyes were see-through. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think to me what actually worked there was just like, yeah, you don't have any skin on your face. You can't close your eyes. That would make me angry. It would also make your eyes shrivel up very quickly. Yeah. I know. Uh, you got a lot of visine. No, no, no. He, he says, a- moisturize me, moisturize me. And then he has people yeah. come around to moisturize him. <laughs> and if he doesn't get moisturized, he turns into Davros very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or or maybe Cassandra. Some combination of the two. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so, you know, this one was kind of exciting with the whole Gallifrey and, mm-hmm. you know, assassination thing. Time Lords, the Master. Yeah. I love how it starts off with that little scroll, and it's kind of like Tom Baker's very booming voice kind of narrating the whole thing and made it really gothic and kind of... In, intriguing. Yeah, and, and the scale of this too. It's not just one world that might be hanging in the balance. No, it's a hundred. It's like three hundred of them. Plus, we've got the entry and leaving in the Matrix in the opening titles. Yeah, the Matrix is older than well, the Matrix, as it seems. Well, huh. it, yeah, and the movie The Matrix clearly ripped off a lot of these concepts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also the movie Jumanji. I was getting total, you know, Colonel vibes. You know, chasing. Robin Williams through the jungle, you know, with his gun, kind of a thing. Also not... Sucked into another world. Just to point it out that The Matrix makes a rebound or in the sequel Trial of a Time Lord, so... And that was also before The Matrix came out. So it's... This is like an ongoing theme. It shows up at some point in the Fifth Doctor era, too. It's not as prominent. Yeah, it's more just kind kind of of mentioned in, in the Arc of Infinity. But um, but it goes on to have quite a bit of uh, pull in the um, 
in the audio stories. And then, of course, the 12th Doctor goes into the Matrix as well, so... Yeah, but, like, let's focus on the concept real quick and how much it parallels to the movie The Matrix. Because we've got a computer system that is partially built out of, you know, minds and brain matter. And it's a neural network network (laughs) that you can plug into and if you know your way around can manipulate it in, you know, really fantastical ways. And... (laughs) And it's, you know, a whole simulated reality in there. It seems very, you know... Ahead of its time. That, yeah. This story, I mean, came out in 1976, so that's not... That's, pre- that's even before Star Wars. Yeah, it's really good philosophical bend, you know, coming into that, you know, so early. It, it almost seems saturated, I think, in today's media, but I imagine, you know, in the 80s. Wait, it's seven, about. 70s, but this came out for Star 70s. Wars, so... You mean that you're telling me that Star Wars ripped off the scrolling text intro scene? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I think the scrolling text thing was well before Tom Baker came in to hey, Doctor Who. They had really good calligraphy back then. <laughs> they did, they did. Um, but, I mean, this this was written by Robert Holmes, who's one of the greats of all writers from the classic era. He also went on to write Caves of Androzani. He wrote the first Centauran and wrote and introduced the Centaurans to Doctor Who. Um, and, matter of fact, pretty much took on most of the Centauran stories in classic era. He um, also uh, did... Um, well, he also introduced Sarah Jane Smith. He was the first writer to bring her on board. Nice. So, there's, I mean, Robert Holmes had a lot of amazing scripts through his time, but this is definitely one that stands out of, above almost all scripts from the classic era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I loved the reporter guy and how everyone who, like, saw him was just like, ugh, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> No, everyone, <laughs> everyone picked on him. It was. And then, Runcible like, the Fatuous. Runcible the Fatuous. Like, and even when the doctor was, like, pretending to be nice to, you know, his cover, he wasn't even very nice. <laughs> <laughs> he tried. He, it was the doctor's attempt to be nice, even though. It was the doctor's <laughs> attempt to appear nice. Yes. <laughs> And and nice is not. He wasn't kind. He was just trying to be nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it was like a great character, and the, and the actor who played he just had like such an earnest face. He was just like, I just, I just want to do a good job, guys. And it's so sad that he's the one that ends up dying pretty much second in the story. <laughs> Of course, the president went down first. And the cast yeah, was another his good one. The camera guy was a, went down late yeah. for him, too. Oh, that's true. I forgot about him. That's the third Yeah, he, it was just a small role. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <clears throat> but uh, Yeah, the master's going around shrinking people again. Well, yeah, that's kind of a theme throughout all of Classic Who. Even in the very first master story, Terror of the Autons, he actually shrinks um, Gooch, uh, which who's the... Um, who's an operator for the satellite system there, and he, he's in his lunchbox with, right next to his half-eaten egg. I'm like, come on, that's a terrible way to go. <laughs> it is, but also, you know, we have a really interesting way of the Master coming back in that we actually hear some sort of an explanation as to how that might have happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the first time that there's any kind of explanation for the Master coming possibly back. Possibly the only time? <laughs> yeah, possibly the only time, because it's a running gag that the Master always escapes everything. I mean, he even escapes in this story without any real explanation. He falls to his doom and then ends up right yeah, back Yeah, but the doctor again. was like, oh, blah, 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 timey-wimey, that super wrestle on Sash and stuff. 
technical mumbo jumbo yeah, the mastermind he, of survival. All he said was he didn't see him fall, which no, we saw him fall. But he also said that, that like, oh, he's, uh, he's dying anyways. He's like, no, no, he got the sash. And the sash is able to help you regenerate more lives, basically. Well, so, that's if he had completed his plan, but I don't no, think... I don't think you need to complete I think to get a full reboot, you need to complete it. But he yes. did add three more lives. Well, not lives, but he did, I guess, extend his decrepit state for at least temporarily. And I, I have to give the actor who is behind that mask some props for being a really good master. He, yeah, really creepy. Uh, I think his name was Christopher Pratt, and he was um, amazing at at the physical side of things because he Star-Lord? literally had no... <laughs> no, no, not Star-Lord. Um, but he just didn't have any... Um, he didn't have the ability to show off his face, so he had to do it all with the inflection of his voice. He had to do it with his hand motions and his body movement. Technically, he didn't get to really show us his hands either. I mean... He, well, was, he was basically a voice actor. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. But he did a good... He did good do job. a good job. And I really liked um, uh, Spandrel and Eden. Uh, I think Eddin? those... Uh, Eden was the, the older guy that's the coordinator. Or Engen, sorry. Engen. Engen's the older guy that kind of is in charge of, like figuring out who's Pyridonian and all that good stuff. He's basically the record keeper. Yeah. Um, I like to see some guys, like, sympathetic to the doctor's side, you know. Yeah. Like, ask some questions, like, wait, does this make sense here? Well, Spandrel asked the right questions, and Spandrel, I thought, was one of the right. more intelligent characters in all of Doctor Who's history. He's the one that Is actually... Is that the Castellan? Uh, yes, Castellan's Randall. He's the one that actually uh, questioned whether the doctor was really the murderer he's the one that just went around and asked all the right questions and got all the good answers because i think he was like i said most of doctor who everybody just blames the doctor and they don't even think i know and and this guy was also really upfront about it the doctor was like oh do you really think i did this and he's like well i think you're gonna be executed for it (laughs) yeah (laughs) unless you can prove otherwise yeah it was great he's like doesn't matter what i think you're gonna die (laughs) Oh my god, and what about that other guy coming in, like Barusa or whatever, being just like, no, I don't like this reality. What we're going to say from <laughs> now on is this. <laughs> well, Barusa, of course, goes is in a lot of Doctor Who stories. He's he's the Doctor's original teacher, and, and Barusa comes back. As a matter of fact, you see him even in the um, uh, the Five Doctors. And he on. rated this one for us. He gave the doctor a nine out of ten. He did. He, he, <laughs> he did. He did. Um, I think that is a reference to the doctor's exam um, at the end of class or something. That's the uh, at least that's the rumor. Um, but yeah, that was uh, he. I loved his characterization and the actor who played him in this because Bruce was just so high and mighty and, and in so into himself. I liked his makeup where they had that really like shiny stuff under his flimsy little mustache and like on his cheeks and nose. He just he looked, didn't have a mustache. He just had the he just had a golden. They all had that shiny stuff all over. Yeah, it yeah. was like it was silly. Yeah, exactly. It just it, it looked like high, it, was it was like so self important. Yeah, well, they do their highlights. <laughs> I I personally love um, how the Doctor comes into Gallifrey and how he he gets the 
this kind of premonition as to what's going to happen and he lives it and then he act and then the whole first cliffhanger is it looks like the doctor actually is the one killing the president right and you're sitting there going was it a clone was it a robot yeah <laughs> and the whole Who was he being hypnotized and the whole silliness with the gold usher and him getting in and then handing the robe off to the one guy who's completely I mean, they were. What one thing I noticed is that the the two people that that were talking and while the doctor's giving the robe, the two time lords, they were so British, absolutely so British in their approach. I loved it. <laughs> I always think the show is pretty British. Well, it was a play on British, I think too. It was kind of mocking them slightly, especially the British elite, because they sometimes are a little absent-minded, I guess. But uh, I just, I, I love that kind of, uh, I don't know, self-reflection that, that comes self through. Self-deprecating so, humor. Yeah. yeah, that too, yeah. I just enjoyed that because I thought it was a very clever way of the doctor running along, trying to do his sneaky thing. Then he, he has to think on the, the fly as a guard is just dead. He's like, oh, I'm going to take the elevator now going back and he changed his entire plan basically. I know and he changes outfit into the robes of you know the people that no one's going to question. Right. Right. And leaves his scarf and coat and everything I on know. full when, display. When he like clearly could have just opened the TARDIS door and thrown it in there. Uh, <laughs> totally. Or just like threw it, thrown it on a heap because you don't have time to change and go off to the but doctor always has time to change. <laughs> doctor always has time. You know, I, I don't know why the guy's always in such a rush all the time. <laughs> well, he's on Gallifrey, so they do have a little bit of uh, expertise in Tardises, I think. So we really haven't talked about the other villain of this one, Goth. Yes, Chancellor Goth, who was uniquely portrayed in this one. He, the actor, was actually in um, the Mind Robber, which I pointed out to you earlier. Um, he played kind of a, a big role in, in that story. But in this one, uh, yeah, Goth is like... Slimy politician meets ranger, hunter, mm-hmm. you know. Well, he meets was, slave to the master. He's, he yeah. played it with such confidence and, and determination, but it wasn't until he lost his confidence when he realized that the master was just in it for himself mm-hmm. towards the end when Goth actually breaks and you see it and when he's dying uh, at the end. Oh, his his death acting throws were actually like he was guttural. Like I I felt like he was Oh they actually killed the actor during this. Oh, okay, now that makes more sense. Yeah, I mean there's that a lot of blood. Felt, it felt very believable. Now it makes sense. That that's a man who is dedicated to his art. <laughs> yeah. Final the makeup on his face, though, made it look like he oh, was really yeah. burnt and scarred. And and also, not, not only that, but when they're in the Matrix, and let me say, some of the Matrix sequences were absolutely thrilling, chilling, and very well shot because they, they utilized some of the forests and swamps of, I guess, England. I don't know where else they would have gone for this. Um, they have islands. <laughs> but it's just, it was really, I mean, just really well shot and, and done. But also when, when the goth gets uh, stabbed by the, the poison dart, he has that big, huge bulb on his leg. Oh, yeah, that was, that was, like, gross. I'm like, man, they really are going with the body horror here. They are. Although I do have to say, although the shots in The Matrix were good, I felt like there were maybe too many of them, like too much of just 
running and being chased. It was kind of like, I get the picture, like that one whole episode was pretty much the doctor running and Goff chasing him with a variety of weapons, which, you know, is entertaining to an extent, but it was a little bit like, all right. Yeah, you can see that what the doctor does with it, with the grenade, with the blow darts. Oh, oh no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you and I agree with Shelby because it was really cool, right? We're watching him do things. And for one, since he's in the Matrix, he doesn't care about being... Too, like, you don't get to see the doctor throw a grenade around or use use these sort of weapons or use poison darts, generally. We see him find yeah. other Who he's called Leela for later. Um, but this time, there was, it was more about the silence throughout the entire, the, the entire part where he wasn't really talking much. It was mainly the master talking and goth. And, and even then, it really wasn't that much talking. So yeah. it was really just a lot of action sequences, mm-hmm. which was unusual for Doctor Who at the time. This was, I mean, this kind of harkens back to John Pertwee's final story, where basically one full episode is literally a chase. And not only is it a chase, but it's a chase using a helicopter and a um, car and a plane and a... I mean, one? this was a little a bit like things. that. I mean, there was... Yeah, there, you know. it was similar to that, but Corey. I felt that this was... I felt like this one was a little bit more um, detail-oriented because the, there was a lot more that was going on. The Doctor was actually fending for his life. And, of course, there's a whole... The water sequence... I where thought the water sequence was great. Where, where the Doctor has to... Well, he discovers that it's poisoned water and he's thirsty and he needs to get water, so he ha- finds ways to... Do make it. a straw and drink it out of a different yeah, bottle. Yeah, another media reference. I could see, that, like, Castaway right here. You know, a lot of silent survival. <laughs> yeah, and... and Wilson. But also, and Pennywise the Clown shows up when the Doctor's going for the Are we sure that person. wasn't just a creepy clown? It was just a creepy clown. <laughs> but, man, it looks just like Pennywise in many ways. And, just a lot like And that. it acts... And that's exactly where, what Pennywise does in the, in the 1980s. <laughs> and film. I'm 100% behind the Doctor on his reaction of just covering the mirror back <laughs> up. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I would have done the same exact yeah, thing. It was, it was a lot scarier when, you know, the Matrix was... Uh, a lot, and and at least you know, Goth was a lot more abstract mm-hmm. in his control. There were the Matrix being eyes, you know, out there in the landscape and throwing random stuff at him, rather than when he was personified, kind of chasing him around. Yeah, with and, big and advantage. It, it, it well, but, but it seemed like you know a, he got feeling, hurt. But it's like, oh, this is something that I could kind of fight. Yeah. Well, like that was a weird thing. He's like, you can't defeat me. I'm like eyes, and everything else is like, okay, I'll fight this on your own rules, and then. He's there. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, well, I'll kind of fight on your rules then. <laughs> I think like, the idea was that the the where they were was kind of conjured up by Goth. He thought of that whole area, but he also had to go in there to actually take down the Doctor because he that if you think about it, the Doctor's already in the Matrix. Goth has to go into the Matrix in some way too. He could have stayed on the biplane. Just yeah, <laughs> but his aim was so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, but he could have sent you know wildebeest to trample a doctor or something random. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot more con- there's a lot more control there than just oh. like let me traipse around with my and, gun and, and get injured poison. and yeah. Imagine some cobras just you're you're good. Well, maybe Goth yeah, just I wanted mean, to have fun with the doctor. The doctor play with I mean, I think the master probably did. Away between yeah. uh, before Goth was just like 
Nope, my imagination is stronger. You have... You are yeah, so why couldn't Goff imagine them away? So here's how I look at it. And this is mainly because we've seen the Master throughout the time and how the Master's been developed. I have a theory. The Master is kind of like Batman and Joker. Master and the Doctor are like Batman and Joker. In a sense that neither one of them would ever want to win where someone dies or gets taken over. It's not... They, they need each other. They feed off each other, in a sense. So, basically, the Master's like... to the he, end. He's, he's not, he, yes, he's frenemies to the end. So, basically, the Master's like, Goth, you can go kill him, but don't kill him. Like, it's sort of the way that it, it's supposed to always work. And in this way, it's the Master's way of saying, well, I mean, as, as Missy put it, it's like, our, it's like the way we say we love each other. <laughs> I also uh, really appreciated how the master had a grandfather clock as a stardust. <laughs> yes, that was great. Goodness. He has a lot of different shapes for his stardust throughout the years. Yeah, because his actually works. She works. <laughs> I know. Although the doctor does get his to work once. We haven't gotten to that story yet, though. Once by time. Once by time, yes. At any rate. Do we want to talk about the whole history of the Time Lords and the, you know, magic sash that can help you survive a black hole or... And the rod of Rassilon, (laughs) the key of Rassilon, everything is of Rassilon. Rassilon did a lot. Rassilon was... Well, he's kind of the founding member of Time Lord Society, at least. He's got a lot of Rass behind him. We we saw a lot of history and, you know, tradition and pomp and circumstance of the Time Lords in this one. Well, this is, I think, the, the beginning of how the Time Lords really come into reality for the program. This is where you really get to learn a lot more about them that we hadn't really known. We've seen them before, but it's more just in passing, like in the Three Doctors and the War Games. Um, In this case, um, it's quite, uh, I think it's quite substantial how how much detail Robert Holmes came up with, with all, like, this is where we learn, oh yes, they only have 12 regenerations, 13 lives. That's the first time this has been stated. Um, we learn about the the different chapters of the Time Lords and that they're elitists and that they're... And they're color-coded. They're color-coded. Um, not everybody on Gallifrey is a Time Lord, but they're certain... But the, because they're these Time Lords are mathematical geniuses, they're the ones basically running the planet. And they've got presidents who are appointed, and only if they cannot be appointed, they are elected. Yeah, that... That's that's a new way of having a presidential system. Also, I feel like that guy wrote down on a scroll or whatever who he was going to choose. Couldn't they just read it? it? <laughs> no, no, no. That'd be against it tradition. It would be. Tradition. Be. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, also back to the sash and the rod and the key and whatever, like, they were just like... Oh, yeah, we do this. It's just a symbolic thing when it actually had, you know, some real substantial purpose back in the day, which just kind of also hints at how old the society is. They kind of treat them like the crown jewels of Gallifrey, but yet they actually have power behind them, which kind of makes sense because if you're Lord President, you kind of need to know what that power is. And that may be why it's not an election because obviously not... Every election is going to work out too well. You want the president may need to know wh- who's going to be next in line, so because he knows who's going to get the secrets and the power behind all of Gallifrey, he wants to make sure he's got a good choice, and he's 
makes it the best possible That's choice. That's what again. I would say if I was the president. Yeah, so he can make the choice better than all the citizens of Gallifrey combined. Unless he becomes corrupt. But as you can tell, the president's kind of a low-key kind of guy in this story. He got, he's very low-key in this story. He's just like, oh, I got some names here. It might surprise him a little. He'd seem- For Bam, Dad. <laughs> yeah, he was like extraordinarily chill, like very chill from the, after the first few minutes. I mean, I, I, I kind of wish we had a little more time with him, too, because he seems kind of an interesting guy. You know, just spoilers, they let us know right at the beginning what was going to happen to him. That's all. Right? <laughs> well, okay, but also, let's take a look at this for a moment, because there was an election where there were only two candidates, and one of those candidates died. <laughs> so, the doctor, by default, president of Alfred right now? I was wondering if that was going to happen. Yeah, they pretty much killed him. Like, it was really, like, you know... President determined by death battle. Yeah, I mean, he kind of got kicked off the planet by someone who probably was technically a subordinate to him at that point. And also <laughs> the fact that you've got, um, I mean, the Doctor, he's literally the one that affects Goth in the first place. So you've got the other candidate taking out the other candidate. So <laughs> even if Goth got all the votes, he, he's lost anyway. Yeah. Oh, well. Doctor for President. Yeah, Lord President of Gallifrey. Can't put me on trial. <laughs> any rate, let's rate. All right, so how about this episode? I can go first. Tell us. Tell us about this episode. So, this was a good one. This was a nice, fun episode. I, I would say that the action scene was the action episode, I, w- I will call it was experimental in the sense of just using that much physicality and not much uh, talking throughout it. Um, I heard it was also a little bit... There, Some people said it was very tense for them when they actually... I think Michael, you said that... Uh, the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger kind of... Drowning scene. Yeah. The drowning scene was one of the biggest Doctor Who cliffhangers of all time. Mary Whitehouse, who was a huge critic of Doctor Who to begin with, really railed against the program at that point. Mm-hmm. And I'll, she wasn't the only one, though. But, I mean, overall, it was an ex- it, that was a, what I consider a very experimental episode, just mainly dealing with a lot of interesting physics and stunts. I mean, getting a biplaning ain't cheap even then. So, I... I found it really, like, that That one was captivating. All the other setup, all the costumes were fun. The story was good. The master was a Muppet. I enjoyed myself. So I have to agree to her with our first um, rating that was given this episode. I think it was, what, a 9 out of 10 the, his teacher gave him? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree, with him. I agree with him. 9 out of 10. Good times. Mm-hmm. Would watch again. Yeah, so I, that resonates a lot with me. Um, I think a lot of the experimental parts were a success. Nothing else was unexpected, and I think it was uh, refreshing. I think it came up to my, you know, 2020s, you know, kind of palette in terms of, like, I do expect there to be a little blood. I do expect there to be, you know, some almost drowning you know, as part of a cliffhanger. Um, and, you know, with that, I, I think that the action was well done. You know, I, while there wasn't a lot of dialogue, I think the pacing was spot on. I don't think that there was um, any real filler in this episode, you know, to point to in a meaningful way. Um, I really appreciated a lot of the side characters, and I think that they had their opportunity to shine because 
um, you know, the doctor is here, you know, alone. And it's it's a nice scaled story of the doctor versus the master um, on Gallifrey, um, you know, with many, many worlds at stake. Um, there's a good philosophical bend in here. There is humor. Um, I, I enjoyed some of the set design, the pomp and circumstance of, you know, the... Um, the president's uh, assassination kind of scene and also um, the outdoor trudging through the, s- the swamps and, you know, falling down cliffs um, <laughs> and whatnot as well. Um, I'm going to, you know, agree. I, I think the teacher knew what, knew what was going on. Knowledge is power. Um, 9 out of 10. All right. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I agree with what's been said be- before. Uh I think that this was extremely well written. I think it was very well executed. Uh, I still maintain that it dragged a little bit with some of the, you know, scenes, but classic stories do that. And uh, overall, I'm also going to give this one a 9 out of 10. Boy, so consistent with all of you. You're going to break our consistency right now. I, uh, maybe. (laughs) This is one of my two top favorite Tom Baker stories, and this makes it into my top 10 Doctor Who stories of all time. The Deadly Assassin definitely had an impact when I was younger and watched it for the first time, but I think this is one of those stories where it's universally loved. There's very few people that thought that the pacing was slow, Um, especially if you consider all of Doctor Who that came before this. This actually really amped up the the violence. It amped up the action sequences. It amped up everything. Um, and just because there was a few chasing or walking around scenes outside, those actually had an intensity about them. And I think it's because they were so quiet and so silent. Um, it kind of gave it. It, it kind of gave more of a realism to it. You didn't have music in the background for a lot of those sequences. It just had special sound effects and the effects or the sounds of, of the environment around them, um, which goes well with the, the sound department. So um, with that said, I, I, I have to give this a 10 out of 10 because, like I said, it's in my top 10. So how else would I be able to rate this? <laughs> so everything in your top 10 is a 10? Everything in my top 10 is a 10, absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah, I guess I guess what my main problem was all the chasing scenes is just that they're yeah. in like a you know simulated dreamscape type thing. It seems like the master and goth could have pulled out some cooler things than a, an ordinary swamp. We're going on a BBC budget, so I do, and I I think we just have to remember that for the time and for the budget that they had, what they did utilize was quite substantial for the program. And I felt like there was a huge difference in the feel and the and the overall look of those sequences because it felt very realistic in, in many ways even though it was a complete land of fiction mm-hmm. i felt like tom baker was fighting for his life in a jungle somewhere may have been england i don't know <laughs> they hadn't gone overseas at this point so i don't know where they were but they had some really good terrain for these for these sequences and that dr- that drowning did look pretty drowning Although I, I do have to admit, yes, we do have yet another rock quarry that the Doctor stumbles into. They're, they're useful settings. You can find them anywhere. <laughs> they're on Gallifrey. They're on Scaro. They're on Earth. <laughs> they're in Earth. the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the Matrix. They're everywhere. Kind of hey, like, I've seen a lot of rock quarries out there in the wild. You know, <laughs> that they exist. It's kind of like, cord- kind of like corridors. 
the doctor's always in corridors, and somehow that also oh, wow. gets joked about some at some point. Haven't we been here before? Wait, haven't we turned this corner before? <laughs> anyway, well, have a good night, y'all. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Or, bye. Bye. Actually, isn't it hear you next time? Bye. <laughs>